Radio Ministries and Jaron Ministries International now brings you James, Man with a Message. This is a multi-part teaching series on the New Testament Epistle of James, taught by Dr. Jim Cece of Campus Bible Church in Fresno, California. Welcome to part two of Dr. Jim Cece's introduction to the Epistle of James, Man with a Message. First you see that James was a witness of the transforming power of the gospel. See, we don't have any biblical evidence outside of 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to Jesus' other brothers and sisters. How'd they hear the gospel? I would like to think it was James. Hey, guys, do you know who our brother was? He appeared to me. Maybe they said, you know, you're a little crazy like Jesus. But all we know is something happened to them because we find them among the disciples praying. And even if James wasn't the one, eventually they're all together, and not as a Jewish family, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. What a joy that must have been. What a joy. Some of you know the joy of having all in your family have a personal relationship. From as far as I can gather, and I've traced my family lineage and a lot of sides, we're a first-generation Christian family. I had the joy of leading my brother to the Lord, my youngest brother, Tony, leaning, kneeling on the grave of my father. And as we rose from that time of prayer, as he's giving his life to Christ, I said, Tony, let's start a generation of faith. So it was for Jesus' human brothers and sisters. Now go back to James's life in particular. It was about a dozen years past, and and the next mention of James in the New Testament, we find him now as one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Wow, lots of things that must have happened. James was a key leader in the church of Jerusalem. A lot of growth at that point. So much so that Acts 12, 17 says, uh, Peter it calls the brethren to give their reports to James. Well, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to tell James about your ministry. Well, Peter said that. Man of great importance, telling them to go to another man of great importance. So much so that in Galatians 2.9, Paul states that James is one of the, the pillars. In fact, so much so that 
when he's going to go on his missionary journey with, with uh, Barnabas, remember, uh, Galatians 2.9, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, namely Peter, and John were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They needed James's permission to go on a mission trip. Paul and Barnabas. Wow. Even more than a pillar. The Bible refers to him as an apostle, small a, not capital A, one of the twelve, but obviously a key leader. Galatians 1.19, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. But perhaps the greatest evidence, and I want you all to turn there, is the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. Everybody turn. I want to hear pages flipping or keyboards clicking. Because not only was he a key leader in the church of Jerusalem, but remember the church had spread on the day of Pentecost. Remember all of these languages that groups had gone out and churches had been built in places like Crete, Antioch, and Pisidian Antioch, and other places as well. Remember that? And James was a key leader of the church at large. In fact, he became the head of the Jerusalem Council. Now, the Jerusalem Council started around 48, 49 A.D., went to about 50 A.D. It was the first of many councils. I won't go into the history of the councils, but very important times when they had to deal with a problem. What was the problem? The problem was it was to the Jew first and then to the Greeks and Gentiles. And the problem was Jewish tradition and customs were prevailing. Well, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to celebrate Passover. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all these Jewish things. No, 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 Paul would say and others would say. That when a Gentile becomes a believer, he's saved by grace as you were saved by grace. And you don't say grace plus. You don't say, you know, salvation is by faith plus. And so the debate comes and listen to Acts 15 and James's response to this. Verse 12 and 13. And all the multitude kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Well, you better be pretty important if you stand before the Jerusalem council and say, I want you to listen to me. And verse 19 to 22. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and with the whole church to do what James had said. Wow to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas and Silas, uh, uh, you know what, uh, and leading men among the, the brethren. I mean, what a testimony from unbelieving sibling of, sibling of Jesus to devout follower of Christ to leader in the Jerusalem church to the head of the Jerusalem council. Wow. But here's my goal. I don't want you to get to know James for what he did. I want you to get to know him for who he was. Because you're not going to read his letter. My greatest desire when I write books and go places is not that people read the content of the book, but that they will catch my heart. It's very hard. 
That's my prayer. That they'll know me. And, and that as I draw them to the Word, and they'll know Christ more intimately. That's, that's James' desire. I, I want us to get to know James first and foremost for who he really was. Not just the brother of our Lord, not a pillar of the church, not an apostle, not even the head of the Jerusalem council, but the man on the inside. You know as well as I, when God measures a person, he puts a tape measure around where, everybody? Heart. So let's look at his life message. First of all, know that James was a man of integrity. Recognized historically as such. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way, a little integrity is better than any career. See, James did not go down in history as the brother of our Lord or the pillar of the church or even the head of the Jerusalem council. You know what his name became officially throughout history? James the Just. Dikios in Greek, the righteous one. What a title of reflecting not on his perfection but on the uprightness of his life. For doing the right thing for the right reasons, even when no one was watching. That's the essence of integrity. And guess who he modeled his life after? You ready? His father, Joseph. Do you remember in our Christmas Eve service, we talked about Joseph in Matthew 1.19, and Joseph, her husband, being a what? A righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace Mary, desired to put her away secretly. Joseph was like his dad. I'm going to preach all day on that, guys. And he had every right to express what he expressed in James 2.18, and we'll get to that eventually. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And he lived it. Didn't just write it. Obvious in church history. So that's a pretty important question. If, if a biography was being written about our lives, would those that truly know us speak of us as people of integrity? As honest men, honest women, would they declare that we're just and righteous? Not just because we're in Christ, but we act like we're in Christ. And if integrity is defined as doing the right thing even behind the closed doors of our lives, what would God say about our integrity? Because he's the ultimate biographer of our lives, is he not? And I pray that throughout this study we'll all become more like James, to have our lives marked by doing what is right because it's the right thing to do, that's why. That's why he'll say that. If you know what to do and you don't do it, it's sin. His words. Secondly, James was a man of wisdom. We can certainly only imagine the wisdom that was needed to head up the Jerusalem Council. Such a touchy situation. And God gave him such wisdom that not only the apostles and elders, but the whole church unanimously said, let's do what James tells us to do. That's wisdom. It's not wisdom of his own making. Martin Luther even admitted that all our experience with history should teach us when we look back how badly human wisdom is betrayed when it relies on itself. The ancient historian Eusebius quotes another historian, Clement, in describing James when he says, And the Lord, after his resurrection, imparted knowledge, it was the Greek word wisdom, to James, the just, and to John and Peter, and they imparted it to the rest of the apostles, and the rest of the apostles to the seventy, and on and on and on and on. And thus, when we study James, and he says to us, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously and without reproach, now you get it, because this is a man that had to do it. Imagine and walking into Jerusalem Council when they're fighting. Oh God, give me wisdom. God did. J 
generously and without reproach. That's why James 5, 1 verse 5 and 6, anybody read it, or everybody read it with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Anybody here need some wisdom? Raise your hands. Then follow the example of James. Draw on God's wisdom. You know, we quote the simple prayer of Reinhold Niebuhr, who who wrote what we call now the serenity prayer. It's been revised a little bit. Here's the original. Read it with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now this clock is running, and I need more time. I want you to get to know James. It's not just a man of integrity, a man of wisdom, but a man of prayer. The 18th, 18th century preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards said this, prayer is as is, is natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. It exudes out of you when you're walking close to God. One other said it's the voice of faith. That's exactly what happened, so much so that he went down in history with a nickname, Camel Knees. He was such a man of prayer that he had calluses on his knees from praying and came down in church history all throughout historical records as James the Just or James Camelnese. I need that too. The hours this man spent praying to his heavenly Father and not his brother, but his Lord Jesus Christ. And he could write, therefore, without hypocrisy, the timeless words of James 5.16, and we'll get to that, everybody. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Watch this now. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, and he experienced that. The truth be known, the question has to be asked, what about our prayer lives? How much is it accomplishing? Maybe we don't have enough calluses on our knees. Or maybe, sadly, we've got some calloused hearts. Let's go back to James. Man of integrity, man of wisdom, man of prayer. I want you to know James as a man of humility. The problem is we have a twisted view of what that means. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourselves less, one man said. It's not so much about thinking lowly of yourself, but thinking rightly about who you are. And he does. And what's so marvelous about verse 1 is it exudes with humility. He says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What you and I would be doing is having testimony time. Come and hear from the brother of Jesus. You know, when I went to Romania, all over television and radio, they were saying, cousin of Capone is coming to Romania. I just said, no, please. I'm so embarrassed. You go Google that. It's just embarrassing. That's not my claim to anything. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that's the issue. It's not the family of Capone. It's the family of God. Somebody say amen. Did you catch what he didn't say? James, the brother of our Lord? No, James, the bondservant. Because what was significant about his life is not that he grew up with Jesus and was born into that family. It's that he became a part of the heavenly family and was born again. 
so that he's a part of our family. There's a whole sermon there, isn't there? Isaac Newton said it this way, if I have seen farther than others, it's because I was standing on the shoulders of giants. James understood that. We need to as well. In fact, even Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 7, all of you clothed yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Why, everybody? Because he cares. He's a man of integrity, a man of wisdom, a man of prayer, a man of humility, but a man of obedience, a bondservant, he says in verse 1. Uh, the Greek word doulos means a slave. You know, a slave of God, a servant of men. James owed his life to God and absolute allegiance to the Son of God. And you say, well, where did he learn to be such a subservient man? At home. You know, when you reflect on the life of his mother, Mary, such a great example. Remember Luke 1, 38, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord be it done to me as you wish, according to your word. Good to have a mother like that, huh? And his father, Joseph, demonstrating the same kind of obedience. Remember in, in Matthew 1, 24, Joseph arose from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as a wife. Or how about his brother? Also an example. Remember John 6, 38? For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. James saw it in his mother, saw it in his father, saw it in his brother. And isn't it curious? Ready for this? There are 108 verses in the book of James. 54 of them are imperatives. Wow. One command for every two verses. Obedience. Because James understood that the truest liberty is found in being a bond slave of God and a servant of men. We need to do the same. Thus we'll hear James say, chapter 1, verse 22, but prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. He will rip at our hearts about being professional Christians instead of obedient disciples. You better be ready. A man of integrity, a man of wisdom, a man of prayer, a man of humility, a man of obedience. And lastly, there's a man of sacrifice. Not willing to pay the ultimate price. And early historians do record something about the life, not of his conversion, but about his end. And a horrific death that he faced. Josephus says that he died in 62 A.D., but in the 4th century, a man by the name of Eusebius of Caesarea in his Ecclesiastical History, chapter 23, entitled The Martyrdom of James, who was called the Brother of the Lord, he writes about the Jews who turned against James. Listen to this. The following daring measures were undertaken by them against James, leading him into their midst. They demanded of him that he should renounce faith in Christ and the presence of all the people. But contrary to the opinion of all, with a clear voice and with greater boldness than they had anticipated, he spoke out before the whole multitude and confessed that our Savior and Lord Jesus is the Son of God. Remember who this is saying this. But they were unable to bear longer the testimony of the man who, on account of the excellence of ascetic virtue and of piety which he exhibited in his life, was esteemed by all as the most just of men and consequently... They slew him. Now, Eusebius goes on to quote Clement, 
who records that James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. I was just there a few weeks ago. And to be sure, they beat him then with a club. And then Eusebius quotes Hegesippus, who lived immediately after the apostles. Listen now. This is the most ancient of records. James, the brother of the Lord, succeeded to the government of the church in conjunction with the apostles. He has been called the just by all from the time of our Savior to the present day. For there were many that bore the name of James. He was holy from his mother's womb. He drank no wine, nor strong drink, nor did he eat flesh. No razor came upon his head. He did not anoint himself with oil. He did not use the bath. He alone was permitted to enter into the holy place, for he wore not woolen but linen garments, and he was in the habit of entering alone in the temple and was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people so that his knees became hard like those of a camel in consequence of his constantly bending them in worship of God and asking forgiveness for the people. And because of his exceeding great justice, he was called the just. Oblias, which in Greek means bulwark of the people and justice, in accordance with what the prophets declare concerning him. What an incredible man of God. And for the next number of months, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, chapter upon chapter, we're not just going to hear words from someone we don't know. We're going to hear words from somebody that we do. That's why we do this. And we would do well to make it our life ambition to be like him. To be a powerful witness of the transforming power of the gospel. To be champions of truth. People of integrity and wisdom. Men and women of prayer and humility. And examples of obedience and even a willingness to sacrifice our lives. And a great place to start is in verse 2. We'll see you next time. Father, thank you. Thank you for this incredible man of God who came from such spiritually humble beginnings. A life without faith in the Messiah. And he must have reflected back on those wasted years. But we're grateful for those fruitful years. And in this epistle, these 108 verses, we will have reflected a man who was impassioned to be a bond slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so for us. In Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Make a name the world remembers. But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the lie that it was up to me. Make a name the world remembers But Jesus is the only name to remember And I, I don't want to leave a legacy I don't care if they remember me Only Jesus Jesus. Oh, all the kingdoms 
the trophies won will crumble into dust when it's said and done. It's all that real matters. Did I live the truth through the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? Important points we heard today. James' dramatic conversion. His extensive ministry. James was a witness of the transforming power of the gospel. He witnessed his brothers and sisters becoming born-again followers of Christ. James was a key leader in the Church of Jerusalem. James was a key leader in the church at large. His life message was a man of integrity, wisdom, prayer, humility, obedience, and sacrifice. According to the historian Josephus, James was martyred around AD 62, other accounts concur. James has written message. We would do well to make it our life ambition to be like James. KTWR, Agonia Guam.